Disruptors. Welcome to another episode of Faith Disrupted. This is another special edition where we've got a, um, a fancy interview for you. Um, so, Shell had the pleasure of interviewing Shell. Name? <laughs> Everdown Onya. Ah, thank you. <laughs> Rolls off the tongue. EJ, as they like to call him in Australia. G'day, EJ. He loves it. <laughs> nice. All right. So, we'll have that for you later. But first, we're going to have a little bit of a chat, as usual, about the things we've been doing and liking and experiencing in the last week or so. <laughs> uh, Ersh, what's you been up to? I have been continuing on my wade through the books that I got from the library and disappointingly I abandoned La Rose, which was um, talked about quite a lot, but I just couldn't get into it and I wasn't interested. So instead I've been reading. Good for you, for putting it down. Yeah. Ooh, hard to do. I know. I really wanted to like it, but I just yeah. didn't. Connect. Um, instead, I'm reading uh, "Working Class Boy" by Jimmy Barr. Oh, nice! <laughs> really good one. Biography or memoir, and it is fantastic. It's okay. really, really interesting. It's a bit like um, all those depressing Irish dramas. You know, the one that has that woman in it all the time. I don't know, like potatoes. <laughs> Angela's ashes. Those kind of things. Those kind of my left foot depressing kind uh, of yeah, yeah. You know, not in the name of my father or whatever. Anyway, um yeah so like his family background is Scottish which also reminded me a bit of the Magda Shabansky um mm. biography which I thought was also awesome anyway so I'm really enjoying that and I recommend it it's easy to read okay. and he's a good writer it's, yeah great uh, I have also been – I watched the other night. We had, like, our family over for Father's Day and we watched um, The Hunt for the Wilder People, which is a New Zealand mm. film and it's beautiful, kind of in the same vein as Boy and Whale Rider. Just really funny. It's got Sam Neill in it and I highly recommend it. Like, if you just want something light well, – not really light, but – It'll give It'll you a few really laughs good. and it's heartwarming. Yeah, okay, you've seen it. I loved yeah. it. Actually, yeah, I would. Yep, I okay. recall now that one of my friend's um, sons, so he would have been maybe 10 at the time, mm-hmm. went to see it and said it was one of his favourite movies oh, ever. So oh, wow. I should get it for my kids. Yeah, yeah good family one, definitely. Yeah. would yeah, definitely great. appeal. There's some good, you know, boy humour in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i.e. farts and bodily fluids yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the one yeah. yeah so that's mainly it i went over the weekend to a sounds of the nations conference that i was involved in which was it's all about bringing together indigenous sounds of whatever country it's in um wow. with a spiritual focus and that was really amazing and it just mm. um brought home for me again i think we've talked about before how we'd love to We'll have one episode where we delve into the Indigenous in Australia. Mm. And, um, yeah, my heart was just so moved again by mm. what the Aboriginal people in Australia have been through mm. and, and what they have to offer us now and going forward and how we can work together. So, yeah. Great. Loved it. How about well you, Shell? Um, so I, Bruce and I have been smashing out the show Limitless on Netflix Mm, based on the movie, it yeah? It is. It flows on from the movie. So you actually yeah, right. have Brad, what's his face, the actor from <laughs> Bradley Richard? Cooper. 
Bradley okay. Cooper. He is occasionally in this show. He's one of the characters, and I realise he's an executive producer as well. So he's right. obviously cashed in a franchise. Um, but it is it's one you know that Bruce is happy to watch, which is rare for us to find something that we both watch together. And, and I find it quite funny. The lead character is very um, quirky and uh, goes into the FBI basically, but just annoys everybody. Um, mm-hmm. but he's very likable and, yeah, got a bit of action. It's easy to watch. So we're enjoying that. So that's kind of my lighthearted thing. But my other recommendation is to get educated. Um, <laughs> so I got the chance to go along to a, a inform, what do you call it, information session. It was an evening called A Time to Listen that our church put on around the domestic and family violence issue ah. and it was inviting other churches in the area but other uh, leaders and other organizations to come together and Julia Baird the journalist who uncovered um, mm. the stories was there so she was interviewed wow. um, by our pastor a bit and then she ended up um, conducting a panel conversation with Michael Jensen who is that Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Anglican guy that I mentioned who was on the ABC who did a really good job of um, talking mm. about we just need to change. And then they had um, a woman who chairs a, a women's refuge place that only started two years ago and it's just mm. bursting out the seams and everyone's giving it money and it's amazing. Wow. And then um, the woman who heads up the family domestic violence issue with Common Grace Um, which is that online social justice Mm -hmm. thing that I'm a part of as well. She was excellent. And then a guy that works for Baptist Care who actually is involved in um, counselling the women and children but also running programs for the men to Mm -hmm. see if it can actually break the cycle of abuse. And it was, yeah, mind-blowing, like Mm. just so much that I don't know um, that, it opened my eyes too. It was, yeah, just incredible. Uh, I just thought one of the comments Julia Baird made early on was around, because they're asking, like, what needs to change in the culture of the church to try mm. to stop this issue? And she, one of the things she goes, she shows to young women, not necessarily just in the church, but young women, here's a picture of Stalin when he was a young guy. He was really good looking. <laughs> and look what he turned out to be, you know, and just yeah. don't go after the attractive Thing, yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that this is a good person mm-hmm. um and she said that the, she sees that the church is so busy telling people to contain desire yeah. that we forget to speak about what it is a healthy relationship mm. so what does good. good conflict look like yeah. um and instead everyone expects this princess experience this is another comment where the princess falls in love and then gets locked up in a castle for the rest of her life, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> These really weird things that permeate. And, yeah, I just thought that thing around we don't get taught about what healthy relationships look like mm. is really true. Yeah. So, yeah, so it kind of I feel like it's – well, and the way they're approaching it is it's sparked a conversation. We're going to come back together after six months and see how people have made changes and continue to – change the culture of mm, churches amazing. in our area anyway so yeah i think Love it. Uh, yeah i think more of those kind of conversations would be fantastic to have around the place absolutely how about you tam oh i feel like i've been more busy this week i feel like i've been a bit boring mm-hmm. lately um, <laughs> so i um 
I went to see my third concert for the year on the weekend. I decided this was the year of live music, so I went out and bought myself a heap of tickets for things. Um, So on Saturday night, I went to see Meg Mack. Um, Ah. So she released uh, her first album this year called Low Blows. This was Mm -hmm. the Low Blows tour. And she just... Look, I'm going to go all Molly on you and say, do yourself a favour. <laughs> really? And, yeah, listen to some Meg Mac. Her and, I mean, her, she was just as perfect live as she is mm-hmm. recorded. Her, she's got one flipping amazing voice. Mm-hmm. She had an incredible band, amazing backing singers. Like, it was all just very well worth the three and a half hours I spent standing up in heels and oh, feeling like wow. I was going to die. Um, <laughs> mental notes wear flats next time yes yeah, yeah. definitely in the um, music yeah <laughs> yeah so that that was that was a very fun saturday night even though i paid for it the next day mm-hmm. um and i was listening to two new podcasts this week sometimes i feel Ooh. like i get into a bit of a rut with my podcasts listening to the same things but there's a new abc podcast called ladies we need to talk Yes, I heard about this. Good. Um, so that's yeah. So that's hosted by Yumi Styles. Oh, great. Um, so there's only one ep out at the moment, and it's all about vaginas. So if you're a boy, wow. it okay. might not. Yeah, you might not find that all that entertaining. But um, yeah, I love that it's about. I suppose it, the stuff that we should know. <laughs> but we maybe mm. don't because no one talks about it. Mm. So, yeah, it was really great. She was just kind of crossing all those barriers and, um, yeah, I suppose pushing the boundaries a little bit. But it was um, – she did it in a really entertaining way. It's quite lighthearted and mm. and interesting. So that may prove to be a fun listen. Mm. Um, and the other one I listened to was a UK podcast – um, and I've only listened to one episode, but I found it really entertaining. And I really liked the fact that I could listen to it with the kids around because yeah, I'm pretty sure there was no swears. Um, and it was just, it's called um, No Such Thing as a Fish. <laughs> and it's for funny people in a room together um, talking about just random facts that seem really unbelievable. Mm. Um, yeah, For so example. they just, they all choose something and then they all put in their two cents about facts that they've heard or read or yeah it's, it's quite well researched it's interesting oh, you'd like um, that. as I said the, yeah, the, kids, <laughs> the kids can listen to it and quite find it quite interesting so Great. they're my recommendations for the week I love it fantastic how hmm. interesting cool well we sound very fancy and interesting people <laughs> excellent um well let's listen to someone who's maybe even more profound than that conversation no <laughs> um, I, yeah, I know, hard to believe. Um, I got to meet um, Evertian Ovenul uh, about three years ago. He's a, surprisingly, he's a Dutch man. <laughs> Who knew? Um, and we got to work together on a project with World Vision, which has been going, yeah, for a few years now. So he comes out to Australia a few times a year um, for a few weeks at a time. He's actually speaking at the Justice Conference in October this year. Highly recommend, actually, if anybody wants to come along to the Justice Conference. It's in Melbourne on the uh, 27th and 28th of October. I think there's still tickets available and it's an amazing mix of speakers from all around the world talking about what it looks like to um, have a faith and 
live justly in the world. So Everett's speaking at that. And we, yeah, I've just learned so much from him, um, Europe being sort of post, post, post even Christian and how he sees the world as a philosopher who's got amazing degrees in that and just sees things so simply but it actually be, is quite a profound reshaping of mm. how um, we've been taught often or how we perceive the world to be and if you just flip it slightly it can actually be um, so much more uh, clear and relevant even so I feel like my faith has expanded in different ways just by being able to chat to him um, on a regular basis so hopefully everyone finds the conversation enlightening and he touches on everything from same-sex marriage to um, how we do church here and uh, what the world might look like uh, with Trump in power and such things going forward so enjoy thanks for doing this show no worries it's a pleasure Hey, Faith Disruptors. I am very excited. It's Michelle here. I've got um, an exciting interview today. We've got the illustrious Evert Jan Ovenil. Did I say that right? Yeah. I gave up already. <laughs> but it's Awenil, yeah. Yeah, Awenil. It's call- like your nil, it's Awenil. Awenil. Uh, we call him EJ. Um, so... Or I just call him Evert, to be honest. EJ. EJ. Do you prefer EJ? Yeah. yeah. Okay, EJ. EJ and I have been uh, working together at World Vision for uh, two and a half, three years now. And I also have my mum from the last podcast. She snuck in again. Mr. <laughs> uh, so Cheryl McCollum uh, here as well. But uh, yeah, we thought um, Evett's out here from Europe uh, for a flying visit on his way to Sri Lanka, as you do. Um, so we thought it'd be a good chance to pick your amazing mind. You are quite the genius and you have uh, lots of great insights to share that I've really appreciated over the last few years. So it'd be great to hear more from you. Um, maybe just first off, who are you and why oh, yeah. are you sitting on my couch in Sydney? Oh, really? <laughs> really? Mm. I am. Therefore, I'm a Dutchman. Just getting got lost in Sydney. <laughs> you moved to Sydney, otherwise I would have been in Melbourne. That's true. You would have been in my house. Um, I don't know. I love being in Australia. Either way, um, I don't. I, I don't face a feel like I'm going through a culture shock or something. Mm. And I'm in World Vision, and uh, I love working with you, Michelle, and uh, producing all kind of creative new videos mm. to actually make a secular audience more aware of the incredible value that faith can have in the world. Not only the destructive force that causes violence, but also incredible transforming power. And uh, we love to highlight that. Yeah. And we pick the most exciting examples. We do. That's yeah. pretty cool. Um, so, Evert, um, it'd be interesting to get... Uh, your insights first of all around what I guess what you see happening in the world I like to mention Trump in every podcast <laughs> and just let's kind of Trump, pause Trump. There. we don't need to talk about Trump as such but I know that you are really good I guess at just recognizing trends that are happening in the world and I'd just be interested in your reflections on what you see is happening at the moment um, and I guess what what you predict the next 
five years might be like oh, really? for us. Sorry, no. Five let's years. Just throw you under the five bus years. There. <laughs> uh, Ten years. Less than one year. I don't mind. I, I, there are three things coming together. Mm-hmm. The one is the world is reorganizing itself. There are all kind of global issues, and uh, that call for um, big solutions. But uh, the world is not really ready to cooperate. But the planet um, will shout only harder and louder and will keep reminding us that some issues won't come back, won't go away, like you know, uh, the risk of a pandemic. International criminals are happily internationally criminal because there's no international police. Mm-hmm. And uh, nuclear risks won't go away. Keep in mind that all the nuclear power plants have been produced at the same time, so they all get old at the same time. And um, we have uh, refugee streams, we have climate change, we have all these uplifting uh, things. It all leads to a planet shouting for cooperation. Mm-hmm. And the weird thing is right now, especially in the West, the, t- the sentiment is to close the curtain and pretend the rest of the world doesn't exist. And so we have this interesting biological response to higher levels of insecurity. But the interesting thing is you would expect these biological responses in all parts of the, all parts of the world because mm-hmm. all, is, all these countries face the same thing. But interestingly, it's especially the West that is showing fear right now. So then that leads to the question, if the planet is reorganizing, if the planet has these huge issues, why isn't over everyone panicking? Mm-hmm. And that has to do with another important thing that is currently going on, and that is that we are losing control, not the, not the others. The so can you imagine the world needs huge decisions to get the whole thing in shape, and in the midst of that, the West is losing control. And as the West is losing control, others are gaining power. And who are gaining power? Well, countries like China and India. And uh, they're stealing our jobs because they simply are also entrepreneurial and so they can also create businesses. And some of these businesses are more competitive and so we lose some of our work. And it all feels to Westerners, leads to Westerners feeling a lot of control. And it makes us panic. Mm-hmm. And it makes us fearful. And we, we, And what do you do if you're afraid? Your biology takes over. And you simply go into the Darwinistic self-defense mechanisms and um, that's what we do. What we have right now is people giving in to politicians that pretend that they can take care of the nation, that they can defend in the midst of all these planetary issues, that they can just pretend the rest doesn't exist and that they can solve the problems of the nation. Mm-hmm. And um, one of them is Trump. Mm-hmm. And, one, uh, and, and the fact that he won means that there are a huge amount of people in the US mm-hmm. that... Um, can't control their own biological fear Mm. and give in to the illusion that at a time where everything is globalizing and the major issues are planetary, that you can still hold on to the illusion that you can solve your problems on a national level. Mm. And that's what... And and Trump sells it and people buy it. And um, here's the sad thing. The Christians are leading the biological (laughs) self-defense mechanism response. So instead of coming up with a spiritual response, they're the first to look to, to, to show the world what a Darwinian mm. biological survival of the fittest response mm. looks like. And that is really sad. Because if you would just 
go for a more spiritual response. You would not go for self-interest, but you would be realizing this is a huge planetary thing. Who is being hit the most? Mm. Who are the most vulnerable in this huge planetary thing? If there's climate change, change caused by 7 billion people, by just the whole world behaving in a particular way and it leads to climate change. If there's climate change as a global problem, you can either start defending your own national interest or you start looking for the most vulnerable in the climate change. Yeah. That would be Christian, I would say. I don't think it's rocket science. That yeah. would be Christian to look for the most vulnerable in the current planetary transitions. Yeah. That's not what we do. Yeah. The Christians are leading the right-wing, almost extreme right-wing movements that are in favor of protectionistic measurements, holding on to your own tribe at the cost of other tribes, and those kind of responses, very, very sad. Because basically it means this, and that is that Christians are not the ones having resilience. They're not the ones that know how to deal with setbacks, with insecurities. Instead, they are the first to lead Darwinian responses. It's sad. Mm. Actually, if you would just look for a Christ-like response, first of all, you would have more compassion in your response. And second, you would not freak out so easily. You would somehow be able to express a kind of basic faith that gives you the strength to hold on, to be hopeful, to be visionary, to overcome your own tribal thing and be human among humans. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen. So it's what we see with Trump is very sad. It's a guy that sells an illusion and the Christians buy it. Mm-hmm. Well, particular group of Christians. So, Ebert, that's do you see that as the lack of resilience in the part of Western Christians? Because religion is growing in the world, it's shrinking in the yeah. West particularly Christian uh, influence. So do you see a different kind of resilience in faiths outside of the West? Yeah, this is particularly... I was particularly speaking about the West. Mm -hmm. So you see this right-wing Christian movement, especially in the West. Yeah. And, um, yeah, um, I I wouldn't say that Christians in other parts of the world have the same response because they don't. And, And... Probably it's not so much because they're, or not necessarily because they're Christian, but because yeah. they have already had a necessity for resilience. You know, that they had to invest in resilience already because their circumstances yeah. asked for it. We are the ones that need to reinvest in resilience because we could, we could afford not being resilient, just living day by day, having that security of a pension, of a job, and of care, health healthcare. We're now losing that self-evident automatic uh, resilience. And we're the ones having to reinvest in in resilience. So you would actually look for the Christians that could set an example. Mm. And they don't. Mm. So where have you seen resilience play out in a positive way among Christians? Are you seeing pockets of it? Yeah. And what does that look like? And what do you recommend? Yeah. Apart from the usual left-wing package yeah. <laughs> of uh, taking care of the most vulnerable, which is the most obvious, yeah. I think it's it's not only left-wing stuff that that mm. I w- that would make me suspicious. Mm. Um, uh, apart from the typical compassion, justice-seeking initiatives, which are totally part of it, I think also a more right-wing stubbornness to stick to what you believe. 
So holding on to values, putting yourself in a tradition and saying, hey, I didn't come up with this. We're doing this for 2,000 years now. And so this kind of um, repositioning yourself in an age-old tradition that gives you the strength to do it and to continue doing it. So the left wing is really going for uh, fighting injustice and fighting poverty and, and, and uh, illegitimate forms of inequality. Mm. Right wing, you're not alone. You're not an individual. It's not only you feeling compassion. It, it's, it's a long tradition. Put yourself in that tradition. Mm. Re, rehabilitate forgotten values. Um, See if if yeah if if a nation can go back to values that they lost. Mm-hmm. That would be more right wing um, addition. So I would say keep it balanced. It's it's mm-hmm. you know we we I'm working in world vision. It's easy to always focus on compassion and justice, but I think we also need to focus on the structural side of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if. Um if you were to think about uh, Christianity in, for example, Australia, and from a, a perspective from Europe, how do you how do you view what's happened in the Netherlands? And do you see? I mean, you visit Australia often enough. Do you see some of that kind of following on in Australia? Do you see differences? I'm not sure. We are very much ahead. Mm-hmm. Um. The the um, the Dutch are very transparent. If they don't like it, mm-hmm. they don't do it. <laughs> so it's this is why you would have this is why secularization may look more dramatic in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. It's because we simply don't like to pretend. Mm-hmm. So if we don't want to go to church, we don't. Mm-hmm. This is so you, you get the lowest church attendance in Europe, uh, apart from France and Czechia. Mm-hmm. But we're we're pretty lousy in church attendance. And it's simply um, what you see is what you get. Yeah. Those who want to go to church, they stay in church. Um, it's only at the Bible Belt in the Netherlands that a lot of churches, a lot of people need to go to church. Otherwise, they can't sell their bread on Monday. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's, uh, there are also social and economic, wow. uh, uh, cultural reasons yeah. for some people. But they, those are pockets. Those are yeah. villages and, and towns where there are still so many people as Christians that the the Christians rule the the council mm. the, the city mm. council uh, but no but but it, overall I would only say in the Netherlands there's no detour and there's a lot of there's there's straightforwardness when it comes to what you well mm-hmm. what you do or do not believe mm-hmm. and there's also a lot of pragmatism so mm-hmm. What may also look more dramatic in the Netherlands is our legislation on euthanasia and abortion but um, um, and drugs, drugs. But it's not it's not better or worse in the Netherlands. It's simply more transparent. Mm-hmm. See, we don't want stuff to go undercover so that we don't don't see it anymore. That we lose track of it. Mm-hmm. So, if we see that people kill themselves because they they're fed up with life, we legalize it so that we can at least see what happens and we can give them the right support. Doesn't mean we all love euthanasia. It simply mm-hmm. means we don't want these uh, undignified circumstances where people have no legal way of ending their lives mm-hmm. and do it in a miserable way. And then we try to legalize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with abortion, same with drugs. If you legalize drugs, you know where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, 
So I'm not sure we are ahead. Mm -hmm. I think we just have a different way of dealing mm -hmm. with it. Mm -hmm. So that issues that may be undercover, mm -hmm. less visible in other societies, perhaps Anglo-Saxon societies, mm -hmm. that they are more transparent with us. Mm -hmm. And the same applies to Denmark and I think uh, those kind of mm -hmm. no-nonsense countries. Hmm. I'd be interested then in your take, as you've as, um, said, you've, you've come to Australia about three times a year and have done for a few years now. And obviously there's this um, marriage equality, same-sex marriage, postal vote mm. about to come about, which is probably the most hot topic yeah. Yeah. for the whole country, especially, I guess, for Christians. It seems to be a hot one. Um, I'd be interested in your reflections then on how, you, how you're observing Christians responding to this and how could we be better at responding to what's happening just from your perspective and what you've seen. Yeah. First of all, we have already... It's already legalized in the Netherlands for 10 or 15 years. Mm. We had the mayor of Amsterdam who immediately on the same day married the first gay couple. Mm -hmm. Because of course Amsterdam wants to be the rainbow city in this area. <laughs> so um, the big difference of course in the Netherlands is that you don't, there are no state marriages in church. In church. So there's no uh, legal marriage in church. So there's no interference. The, the, mm. There's the, the city council. That's where you have your legal marriage mm -hmm. for the state. And then you go to church and you have your, your marriage for God. And the two are completely separate. So mm. the churches were not in, didn't get in trouble when it got legalized. Right. They didn't have to choose. Mm. So the, the um, civil servants that, that are doing marriages, they can still choose whether they want or not. So they can object. So they're not forced to do it. Which, mm. which was probably a Christian party mm. that mm. arranged for that. Mm. Um, so there is this kind of settlement that you're not forced. So I would hope that the same applies mm. here. That if it gets legalized, that churches can simply choose whether they want to cooperate or not. Mm. Hey, and a gay couple can mm. doesn't have to go to that particular church. They can mm. choose also. So you can make it a, a choice thing. Mm. Um, and there was another thing I wanted to say. Um, oh yeah, uh, the sad thing I see here in Australia is that there is no discussion. Mm. You're all shoot at each other th from their trenches. <laughs> it's like a first world war discussion here. Wow. There's no Heard movement. You just, <laughs> you just shoot each other. Yeah. And, and, and um, part of it is because it's an identity issue. It's mm. like um, if you, what you believe is who you are. So um, if, if you um, identify as, a, if, you, if you say, um, if you're a Christian, you are against gay marriage. There's no discussion anymore. Mm -hmm. Because as a Christian, you would lose your Christianness if you would be in favor of gay marriage. Mm -hmm. So the, the issue with an identity standpoint is that you can only shoot at the other, but you will never convince the other or have a proper discussion. Mm -hmm. So I would really hope, but probably there's not a lot of hope here, uh, that, that you can bring down this whole discussion around gay marriage to the, the human level mm. and that you would truly invest in trying to understand why the other can so persistently and so wholeheartedly believe what he or she believes. Why is that? Somehow this is about being human. So why don't we try to understand why the other things, the other things that the, that his or her position is the most human. Mm. And, um, and then you will always get to these different Positions. It's always biology versus um, identity 
and um, and there will always be uh, the issue, the issues like um, shouldn't we give them a break after thousands of years of oppressing gays? Shouldn't we give them a break? Mm. That's not a biological argument. It's just a it's a compassionate argument. Like, um, shouldn't we just tell these people that it's okay for them to lead a normal life mm. after thousands of years of making them feel second rank because of their sexual preference. That's a, that's a t- totally different argument. Mm. And of course, as a Christian, you also need to wonder how you're using the Bible. Mm. And if you think it's in the Bible that it should be against gay marriage, then it, might be, then it might be interesting to see if the Bible was meant to give answers to these kind of questions. Mm-hmm. Is the Bible really an encyclopedia? Uh, if um, if uh, people make comments to each other, make you know talk to each other two thousand years ago, uh, and we can only listen in, isn't there a message, namely that the dialogue continues, that God may have different um, dealings with different generations in different times? Mm-hmm. Can there be can there be development? Uh, God is definitely a God of development. He wasn't treating. Mo- the, the, the Israel at the time of Moses the same way that Jesus is treating uh, Israel. So you see development. What is wrong with development? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, at the same time, um, it's all, I think there should be space for conscience. And um, a church should not be split over this issue. It would be, I think, a sign of maturity if a church can give space for diversity. Mm-hmm. Because it would basically mean the church is not afraid of an issue of like this. The more a church or church leaders seek to control this issue, the more they show fear. And the more they think that they need to guard the kingdom rather than the king. And um, I think there are stronger issues to be, to be angry or, or protective about. One of them is that... Um, that we are now showing biological responses to insecurity and not spiritual responses in society, mm-hmm. and that we're we're making fools of ourselves in the way we try to reflect Christ in our actions, and I think that's a stronger prob- That's a bigger problem than what individual Christians think about gay marriage. Mm-hmm. But that's not really being addressed, is it? Uh, and exactly that problem is not being addressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How? I mean, I, I sense that the church is coming out very strongly. There's a, you know, they are forming the No campaign, not to dwell on this particular subject so much, but I'm just interested in how, how the church is positioned then when I think inevitably gay marriage does get approved and that goes through. How does, um, and as more of those, you know, euthanasia, and you've got, you're living in a space where, as you say, all of those things have um, happened, abortion, euthanasia, gay marriage, all the big planks of a moralistic Christian world, how does the church show up then? Like, and how does, is the church relevant and or um, valid in a society? Yeah. If, if they've had that standard yeah. all times, where, you know, where yeah, is the a, grace it, in that? It's a tough one because the first response is you can't simply take an anything goes stand when you know when these changes in, in, in society happen and then you you should say well you can't stop them anyway mm-hmm. so let's just go with it mm-hmm. no you have your own beliefs you can mm-hmm. you can stand for your own beliefs um, uh, 
you, you, at the same time, don't underestimate that um, it hasn't been, it wouldn't be the first time in history when secular people came to particular conclusions before Christians came to the same conclusions. Mm-hmm. It took some secularization to get to progress in society, mm-hmm. not in the least democracy. And uh, Christians have been have 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 had a natural tendency towards conservatism. So, what you always thought, you cling to it. And then there were these pagans coming up with other ideas that were in fact improvements. Mm-hmm. Then the the church would first resist, and then give it some mm-hmm. decades, and then suddenly they would swing and they would be in favor of it. Slavery. Right? And and the same is it's true for for science. Science was stuck mm-hmm. for theological reasons. Politics, monarchies were stuck for theological reasons until some brave people started um, going against the church, official church theology, and it brought progress. It's. Um, I'm only saying, and um, this is not necessary. That you need to apply it to gay marriage. I'm only saying that um, the, the Christians somehow always say things in the name of God, but after two thousand years, we have said many different things in the name of God. Yeah. And we could change our mind. And it's always interesting that when we change our mind, the new thing we say, it's the new thing we say <laughs> in the name of God. Yeah. So it's always in the name of God. Also, when, we, when it just appears yeah. that we are human beings that are gradually discovering, discovering what Jesus actually wanted to tell us. And so why don't we just admit that? Why don't we make it transparent that we're in a, on a learning curve here? Mm-hmm. And that we are gradually trying to understand what is at the heart of what Jesus was trying to live. And I think if we just simply take this gay marriage issue as a new motivation to go into Jesus' lifestyle and just reflect on what he actually was trying to demonstrate, mm-hmm. it might need it might lead to interesting conclusions. Mm-hmm. Because if there's one thing that Jesus did, it was going against the in the name of the God of God's statements of the established religious leaders. Mm -hmm. He was totally politically incorrect in his particular stance. He would talk with a Samaritan lady at the well, which he he would talk with the corrupt tax collector. Mm -hmm. It was everything that the religious leaders stood for, he was going against it. Mm -hmm. Why did he do that? Why wasn't he? Why was he not supporting the theological establishment? And um, it's 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 not leading to an answer immediately to gay marriage. It leads to being milder, giving more space for diversity around this issue. We are all on a learning curve. If you are in favor of gay marriage, you're learning. You're trying to understand Jesus. If you're against gay marriage, you're trying to understand Jesus. But for God's sake, it's trying. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that you can state for eternity. We are really learning throughout the ages, for mm-hmm. 5,000 years of civilizations now. And we're making progress, but it's slow. Mm-hmm. And let's give each other, within the church, with among churches, the space to learn and sometimes draw different conclusions. Um, just the last few questions. Uh, feel free to jump in. Um, so what? So I guess a lot of people um, in our little world and people perhaps listen to this 
are just trying to navigate, I guess, how to how to show up and how to deal with the complexity of life coming out of perhaps what has felt like a very simple faith, a very black and white explanation of the world that we mm. live in and how we should respond and recognising actually exactly what you said, how do we keep growing and learning and evolving in a way? Um, how do we have the resilience to do that as Christians? And what, what would you recommend to us as we yeah try to move forward with grace and uh, wisdom and openness um, as we it's not just navigating the big issues that are popping up all the time but just in our own lives how do you have a faith that's active that can yeah deal with what life is throwing at us day in day out hmm. two things one three times a day is not my kingdom <laughs> take it like you take a pill against headache Three times a day is not my kingdom. It's ridiculous how 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 we seek to replace the king in how we deal with the kingdom. It's not our, it's not our kingdom, and the kingdom is not lost if things had in an undesirable way. Uh, second, make sure you have enough. You feed yourself with enough inspiring examples. Uh, the price for individualism in the West is that we need to be our own example. That's mm. <laughs> true. And we're often poor examples to ourselves because mm. we know exactly where we feel. You need someone else to be inspirational. So look for, um, look for inspirational examples and you don't need to necessarily look them, find them in your own country. Mm-hmm. At this moment, you can find them in all cultures, mm. in all religions. You can find them in... Um, uh, in the Bible, you can find them in other books. You can find them in novels. Mm. You can find them everywhere. There's a rich collection of inspirational examples. Mm. But we all need our own examples because we have our own set of skills and challenges. And so mm. some resonate and mm. others don't. So mm. find them. Mm. Uh, we really, almost to the level of finding holy people again. Finding mm. saints again. Mm. Um, it's so interesting. If you're in a Catholic church, it's so normal. Mm. They will always confront you with inspiring examples. Mm, that's that's just part mm. of Catholic tradition. The, we killed them and destroyed all these that's pictures right. and, and statues. And, and it was only between me and God. Mm. That's poor. Mm. That's poor. There's so little that one life can show. Mm. It, it's, it's the community that will give you a, mm. lot, a lot of the wealth that can inspire you. So... Um, especially if you're not an, a regular church attender, mm-hmm. I think you need to make an extra effort to invest in finding inspirational examples. And if you read a book about someone that inspires you, that's like 100 sermons in one go. Yeah. Because a life tells so much more than a theological reflection mm-hmm. in a sermon or a principle that is being re- mm-hmm. represented. That, that won't work as much as a life doing it. So it's... Apart from Jesus, read Dostoevsky, yeah. read, uh, uh, go back to Gandhi, go to the usual suspects, go mm. read the speeches of Martin Luther King mm. and, and, and Nelson Mandela. And it's, it's uh, what I would hope is that once we go in that mode, it becomes inspirational and we start reading new inspirational examples being us. Mm. And then we have new generations that can hopefully mm. use our lives as being inspirational. But two things, mm. it's not your kingdom. And you don't need to get inspired only by yourself. Yeah, that's great. So, Ibert, what gives you hope? 
Oh, that's a mystery. Yeah. It's a mystery. Yeah. I, I cannot not hope. Right. Uh, because? It, which, yeah, you want, you, want the, you want the trick behind it. <laughs> no, no, I'm fascinated no. because someone who spends so much of their time thinking and dwelling on uh, well, the state of the world as it is and some of the complexities of life and yet you still have a Christian faith that, that propels you, takes you forward yeah. and essential to living the kind of life you live has got to yeah. be hope. So yeah. the source of that hope? Now you're saying two different things. Yeah. That I have a Christian faith and that I have hope. Yeah. For me, hope is what I fall back on yeah. when I don't have a good day in terms of faith, when I, when oh. I lack the faith. Yeah. It's not, it's not self-evident. It's not obvious yeah. that there's a perfect, willing, loving Father above this all yeah. if you look at daily life. Yeah. It's not obvious. Mm -hmm. So um, if I have a lousy day and it's not like, yep, let's go for the lovely Father in heaven, <laughs> I can still hope it. Yeah. So what I love about the good news mm -hmm. that is especially revealed in the life of Jesus, and I'm continuously talking about his life, mm -hmm. not so much about a bunch of concepts and statements. Mm. What is revealed in his life is so beautiful mm. that I will always hope it is true. And, and the, the way that God doesn't give up on Israel and that he keeps reconnecting with people that are highly annoying that is too beautiful to give up. Mm. And it makes you continuously hope that if that's, that's the kind of God that is above us all, and if that's the Christ that is leading us, then let's also hope that his promises are true. Mm. And that if he says he will restore everything, let's hope it's true. Mm. So, you know, it, the, the re refreshing, relieving, liberating thing about the Christian faith is if you can't believe it, I hope it's beautiful enough for you to hope it. <laughs> so it's, it's, this is also what I would suggest to people that don't believe it or don't like the Bible. Pick the pieces you like. And if you can't believe it, hope it's right. Hope it's true. Just pick Isaiah. Read through Isaiah. Stop when something is beautiful and you think, oh, I wish it was true. And just enjoy the idea. The fact that you have bumped into an idea that is so beautiful that you would wish it was true. Mm -hmm. And everything beyond that, when the hope becomes faith, that's God's business. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I have a good day and I have really the faith and I believe that this life, this world will be restored, mm -hmm. it's a miracle. Mm -hmm. Don't ask me why. There's no trick. There's no, there's no decision behind it. I never decided to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. Come on. It's, it's an, a mysterious, miraculous thing that you can actually believe it. So I find it miraculous and I celebrate that I believe it on my good days. And if I have not such a good day, I hope it's true. <laughs> and actually, this is also what we can do as human beings. We can't bring people to the point of faith. We can bring them to the point of hope. Mm -hmm. By being so beautiful or by talking so compellingly and inspirationally about the, the message of, of Jesus, that others say, well, wish it was true. Yeah. And we would say, well, that makes two of us. Yeah. It's a perfect way to wrap up. I love it. <laughs> it's, I always find it so um, freeing to chat to you because it, it just takes the burden off yourself to believe everything and have yeah, to yeah, hold yeah. it all. And it just gives it, as you say, give it back to God. Let God be Lord. You don't have to. It's not your kingdom. 
not your kingdom. <laughs> Find the inspiration. So, yeah, thanks for being inspiring tonight. Really appreciate you, as always. Thanks, David. <laughs> thanks, Mum. No worries. <laughs>